Coast podcast. My name's Marissa Lordanik and this is a little bonus pod to review the Matilda's first two matches in a billion years because we need to talk about it. We were super excited when the matches were announced. We had a bonus pod then and so now obviously the natural conclusion is to dissect those two games, what we liked, what we didn't like, what's been going down. So as always, it's me, Angela Christian Wilkes, Sam Lewis, and Anna Harrington, and we will take you through the two games against Germany and the Netherlands. So it obviously was not the results we as Australian fans were looking for. The 5-2 loss against Germany was then followed by a 5-0 defeat at the hands of the Netherlands. So we need to have a little chat about what went down. So we'll start with the Germany game. There was so much excitement pre-game because, as we said, there, it was 396 days since the Matildas last took to the pitch and so much has happened in that time. So it, there was so much excitement about getting back on the park and actually getting to watch the girls play. But it was it was not a great performance. Sam, what talk us through that game. What went wrong in that game, I suppose, specifically? Well... 396 days and oh boy could you notice it <laughs> it was it was yeah it was not a great performance by the Matildas and I I don't think anyone who's been paying much attention to what's been going on is really surprised by that and by that I mean not just on Australia's side because it's been a long time since they were together they have been really restricted in terms of the players they could draw upon not just because of border closures but also because of injuries but also what's been happening with Germany and the other European teams. They've been involved in friendlies. They've been involved in European qualifiers. They've been playing together for a, a, a more consistent period of time than what we have. And on top of that, the, the, the squad that Germany put together, there are little pockets of chemistry that are already bubbling away there because some of these players play together at club level. So even though Germany fielded uh, not their starting 11 that they usually would because they too were affected by a couple of coronavirus cases uh, in the 24 hours before kickoff, the players that they did field, there were three or four who played for Bayern, there are a couple who played for Wolfsburg. So they all are familiar with each other at various levels of the game and they've been playing more consistently together across those levels as well. So we saw the result of that. We saw what happens when two teams are affected by their varying contexts. And I think that's the thing that we really need to keep in mind, not just for these two friendlies, but also heading into Tokyo. My analysis piece after the Netherlands game spoke to how Australia needs to really adjust our expectations heading into the Olympics, because these are two games that were really necessary in the way that Tony Gustafsson said they were necessary for us to be able to understand where we sit and what we need to work on, not just in the lead up to July, but also in the lead up to 2023. So even though, yes, it is pretty concerning that we conceded 10 goals in two games even though it is really concerning that performance against Germany there are a lot of things that we can take out of it and there are things that we needed to take out of it because if we didn't if we went and met a New Zealand if we went and met a Thailand if we went and met a Chile you know and we came away with a, a sort of a comfy result and everything seemed fine and dandy we would suffer the consequences down the road. So, yeah, that's sort of the way that I, I guess I, I frame these two friendlies for myself. And I think a lot of other people probably agree with that. 
Um, and I, even saying that, I, I thought the Matildas got better over the course of the week. I thought they were much better against the Netherlands than they were against Germany, even though they the, the scoreline was technically worse because we didn't score. Um, but I'd be curious to, to sort of hear your opinions on all that sort of stuff now that I've sort of, um, I guess, given it that context and framed it. Like, Harry, how did you how did you see the Matildas coming into the Germany game and how did you see them perform on the field, particularly given the the different sort of starting lineup? Yes, yeah, Sam, I think you spot on. You've taken a lot of the words out of my mouth in terms of... <laughs> <Sorry>. like, <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. It's uh, it's nice to be on the same wavelength. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's never acceptable to cop five goals in a game, is it? And especially not when it happens back to back in two games. They'll be really, I'd say, bitterly disappointed with that, that they've copped such big score lines. Like, I don't think, as you said, Sam, I don't think we ever expected them to necessarily be you know, right in these contests, given the context of the Netherlands playing lots of games, Germany playing lots of games, having far more complete squads than what um, Australia was able to put out in terms of just quality of lineup, availability of players. Um, like, if we ever see a couple of those Matildas lineups again, I'll be stunned. <laughs> like, some of the starters, some of the players that came on the pitch, and that's no disrespect to any of those players, but they clearly weren't top starting lineups. Um, so I think that is an important thing to yeah really to really take into into consideration. Like this, clearly not the best starting lineups. New coach, different group of players. Long time since they played together. And as you said, Sam, it really showed. There was some clear disconnect at times. There were, especially in the Netherlands game. I think the most disappointing thing for the Netherlands game was we started really strongly, and then a couple of individual errors, like Mary Fowler, a young player, bit off more than she could chew with a with a pass and then probably didn't follow up on the, you know, on the tracking back after her turnover. And, you know, it's a relatively simple goal. Uh, Mackenzie Arnold is a better keeper than the, the error she made for the second one. So some of these errors are like real sloppy stuff that you um, probably don't see if they've been playing together more or, you know, just are more comfortable. Um, yeah. I guess the thing that you can take out of it is we did show a few positives. Like you said, Sam, I think we came in, and performed better, at least at the start of the of the Netherlands game. I think we showed a better, higher press. I think we showed more intent. Um, it's funny, I thought we actually looked more likely to create goals in that game, even though we scored two in the Germany one and none in the Netherlands one. Like at 3-0, we should have seen a, a tap in from Dylan Holmes. You let it go because it's a debutante, but we should have probably been, yeah, um, not necessarily in the game, but giving a bit more. I guess, yeah, my thing is I didn't expect us to win this I probably just didn't expect us to cop such big score lines and I think that's where the the disappointment for a lot of these players will be like they're fiercely competitive um players I guess like Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, Emily Van Egmond have been in such stellar club form and you know when the Matildas were last together were playing so well at national team level as well so I guess that was a little bit disappointing as well that we didn't get to see them sort of really hit their straps and perform and I think that's that's the biggest thing everyone was sort of so excited as you said to to get these games underway and you know there's a lot of expectation around the Matildas some probably inflated some realistic because we know what this team can do but you know they've not obviously not been playing for a long time so I think when you you get your hopes and expectations up and then it's hit sort of with uh, such a massive blow like those two games it's it's hard for people not to you know just have the it's like getting winded, isn't it? Like it just sucks the air out of you. And I think that was um, probably the most difficult thing. 
for people watching those two games late at night. And even though we we did get better in the Netherlands game, even though it did, did look like we had more opportunities to score goals, there were more chances that were created in the final third. And even Tony Gustafsson in the press conference yesterday said that the Netherlands game really was a 3-1 game. It wasn't a 5-0 game based on, as you said, Harrow, those pretty basic errors that you would expect to be cleaned up um, if the players were a bit more consistent at, the, at that level together. But one of the things that stayed largely the same from the Germany game into the Netherlands game was concerns around our central defenders and also what we are going to do about Sam Kerr being marked out of the game. Because that's a problem that we had at the World Cup. We had it particularly against Norway. The Norwegians were very smart. They were like, well, we'll just put two players on her. And she didn't do anything really that game. She was really heavily dependent upon to counterattack. And her the way that she's being used at Chelsea is not necessarily the same kind of way that she used to be used at Chicago, for example. She is surrounded by so many more players who she can bounce off at Chelsea and counterattacking is not hugely, it's not their style really. Um, it's sometimes necessary, but it's not their entire thing. And so it's almost like Kerr is being trained out of that kind of mind frame in some ways. And she's expecting her Matilda's teammates to offer her the same kind of support system as what she gets at Chelsea. But I think she's realising that that's not going to happen. And I think Tony is also realising that that's not going to happen. And so there needs to be some adjustments around what we do when we get to an Olympics, when we get to an Asian Cup, when we get to the World Cup. Players know who Sam Kerr is. They know what she can do. They are going to mark her out of the game. And so we need to figure out how we can find alternatives. And I think in the Germany game, we found an answer to that when Emily Gilnick was brought into the number nine role. She scored two goals in the final 15 minutes, pretty much. And there were two fairly simple goals as well. Like one was sort of pouncing on an error for a tap-in and one was a header on the six-yard line. But again, like Emily Gilnick is a player that opposition players would not expect to be able to do that. And so perhaps what we need to be thinking about is being a little bit more creative in how we put together our front line, even though there was sort of a lot of chat coming into the friendlies that you know, our, our front three effectively are pretty much locked in. It's, a, it's Ford, it's Kerr, it's Rasso. But now, now that we've seen how opposition teams respond, particularly teams at this level, we know the players that they're going to be targeting. We maybe need to start to think of alternatives. The thing that, I guess, frustrated me a little in that space, Sam, is that um, it was great to see Mary Fowler, and we'll probably talk about it a bit more, get some game time. But it was sort of like in an attacking midfield role. Like, it wasn't as a forward, and it would have quite like to see how that could have worked um, in terms of what she could provide. Sam Kerr conundrum, I think, is always there. And I think there's always sort of a a semi-solution when she gets moved out wide, as you said, with Emily Gilnick pushing in or when Caitlin Ford plays as a nine, because Kerr is so good running in from wide areas as well. She's, you know, she can take on anyone one-on-one. She's such a threat. Obviously, she can make those runs to the back post, near post, wherever you really need her to. And the more mobile she is, the more involved she is as a general rule. And um, it is smart when teams try and pen her in, you know, sort of as if she was a traditional number nine, because that's not where her greatest strength lies. She knows how to lay off the ball, but that's not where she's going to be most threatening, sort of back to goal. I actually liked your other point as well, Sam, about the the centre-back conundrum and defensively, because... We probably didn't mention it, but let's be honest, Germany could have put way more goals 
past us. They hit the crossbar multiple times. Lydia Williams pulled out a couple of big saves. There was a couple of big defensive challenges as well. One to Beattie Goad that would have been a almost certain goal if she hadn't got the foot in at the right time. Like, I think that's where the real improvement came from, I guess, that game. But yeah, um, in terms of defence, the fact that Alana Kennedy is like, she's clearly our best centre back. Um, and I thought was looked the most resolute in defence the whole time. I think we're still lacking some speed in defence and not having Ellie Carpenter, not having Steph Catley is huge in that regard because one, they obviously are brilliant defenders, do their tracking, do their hard yards, but we were really lacking the overload going the other way. I know when Hayley Razzo played a bit of fullback, she tried that, but clearly Betty Goad coming in, you know, debutante, and we'll talk about the good things she did, but isn't necessarily going to have the confidence when we're getting so hemmed in to try and bomb up the left wing. Like Steph Catley, as a more experienced player, would, you know, back herself in to make runs and, you know, take calculated risks. But, yeah, the, the centre-back thing is a bit of a quandary and it makes you go, will Alana Kennedy have to look at getting more club minutes at centre-back under her belt? Because quite clearly she is going to be playing centre-back for the Matildas. And I think she said in a, one of her post-match interviews after the Germany game, like, you know, oh, I haven't really played centre-back for like a year because of club football, but, um, you know, I'll play where the team needs me. But she needs to start doing that at club level, doesn't she? Like if she wants to be doing, I guess, if she wants to be pulling out all the stops for these big tournaments for the Matildas, we need to have her playing centre-back in a club. Like, you don't want to be in a position where she has to mark Viviana Miedema and it's something she could have been doing a couple of times at least a year at club level and has not been doing because she's been playing defensive midfield. I know she got a bit of a run in defensive midfield, but these two games showed that Alana Kennedy is going to be the player marshalling the defence. Maybe at times she'll step in defensive midfield. Maybe at times we'll see Tony play around with his lineup in terms of three centre backs or her stepping into midfield. But clearly her number one role is going to be as a centre back. So I think these games sort of underlined that we need our players playing in their best positions and playing against the best players, doing well, and then bringing that into camp and getting that sort of chemistry going. And speaking quickly to that as well, Harrod, um, after the Netherlands game, Tony gave a press conference and I asked him about the centre-back issue and he said in, in very sort of uh, roundabout terms that there are players who are playing in different positions at club level who might be realising that they are not complementing what they're doing at national team level and that they need to start thinking about this kind of thing. So I think that was a message to Alana Kennedy because you could, even though she was she was solid, she was good there, you could tell that she has missed a year of playing centre-back at, at an elite level. Um, and not, I'm not just her, I mean, I think there are probably some other players that that applied to, but particularly Kennedy. And we've talked about this in multiple episodes of this podcast. We know that this is a you know she is probably the future centre back of the Matildas but I don't think she realises that yet and I don't think she realises the seriousness of how much time she is wasting perhaps that's that might be a strong word but how much time she is spending in a position where she's not going to be utilised at national team level so in terms of her priorities I guess this is a this is a big question that she needs to be asking herself. The other thing just to that note is when Sam Kerr came off, um, 
it was Alana Kennedy that she gave the armband to because Steph Catley is the vice captain but wasn't there. So clearly Alana Kennedy is a leader in this lineup. And when you're captain, you sometimes have to make, I guess, sacrifices in terms of where you want to play. and Or when you're, you know, not necessarily always captain because Sam Kerr is captain, but when you're a leader, like, you have to sometimes make the hard decisions. Like, um, I'm sure she's got some great things out of playing in defensive midfield in terms of her passing range. She has always been quite confident on the ball, but um, you see it every now and then with her runs and that sort of thing and her movement. But she's just such a talented centre-back. Um, and I think she is the one that marshals our defence and is so, I guess, so proficient in that area. And you just want to see her getting better and better. And I think, like you say, Sam, that seemed like a bit of a, a coded message maybe that she might have to have a think about what that means for her at club level. Because if she's going to be playing as a six at all in the Matildas, it seems like it's only going to be a bit part thing. And you can't be having your centre-back be a bit part or zero part thing at club level. and then you know, the majority of what you're doing in national team because it, it just doesn't line up. Going back to what you were saying, Sam, about the, I guess, what we do about Sam Kerr, I suppose um, it's a theme across the board, but players playing out of position, like we just said with, um, or playing in positions that they haven't been doing at club level. I think that extends to the midfield. And so, for example, if you've got Emily Van Egmond not playing where she's best suited and she has been playing um, in that role in that attacking midfield role for West Ham and, and been doing pretty well at it I think and been developing and growing but yeah we, if we don't have that happening in the midfield then that does reduce the options that we have in terms of like increasing our chances up front and creating those um, combinations with someone like Kerr or, or Gilnick or whoever it might be but yeah I do agree with your point um, Anna like just popping her out wide and Gilnick was a, a, a real positive from this. I, I thought it was great that she was able to score two when we were under the pump in the way that we were. Um, but yeah, that's basically seems to sort of flow on. Like we've got the we've got the front line. We love the front line, and we're really lucky to have had the full complement for this set of games given the circumstances. But obviously, did have flow on effects all the way through to the back line. I like that you did mention the midfield there, Angela, because. There's one thing I think we really missed and, you know, you don't want to use this stuff as excuses, but we talk about missing personnel and I think drive through midfield is something we really missed. And it's been a bit of a hallmark of our teams for years. Ivy Luke is buzzing around everywhere, trying to put out every spot fire and clean up every ball and try and get forward and create. And, you know, she was excellent throughout the two games. I thought she was among our better players for both games. And this is, isn't even looking at Elise Keller Knight, who has been out for a long time with that ACL, but, um, Tamika Yallop, I think we really miss um, in terms of she provides better forward runs than most players in the world, to be honest. She's just got that extraordinary gut running and um, ability to create and get on the end of a ball and burst into the box at the right time and just has that work rate all around the ground. We got to see it with Brisbane Raw this season. Um, the other one is Chloe Legazzo, who's moved from Bristol to Kansas City, has really sort of stalled her football if in the most unfortunate sense in that she's not played because of her move, but then she's not been able to get a, I guess, visa and stuff to get over there and be training and be ready to go. And because she was sorting all that stuff out, she also missed this camp in two games. So if she had been playing, I know she wouldn't have necessarily been match fit, but she is a naturally super fit player and, you know, a real workhorse and just goes, 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 goes. And <laughs> we know that miracle of Montpellier game, you know, 
you wouldn't necessarily expect her to pull out a game of that quality, but, you know, her tenacity, um, her work rate, she gets stuck in, she's versatile. I think that's a player we really, really missed in terms of just giving that extra bit of oomph and aggression. Uh, so you look at the midfield for a lot of it, and it was, as you say, Van Egmond, sort of almost at eight, drifting into 10. And then Mary Fowler was playing in the more advanced midfield role with Ivy Lewick a bit further back. And it's just, I mean, it's not a midfield three we've ever played. <laughs> like the simplest answer there. Like it's not a midfield group we've we've really played with. It's not natural. And when you're playing against teams like the Netherlands and <laughs> Germany who have so much strength in numbers and so much depth there, like if you've not got your best midfield, they are going to outstrip you. They are going to, you know, make you look second rate. And as much work as, you know, those players did, it, it just wasn't standing up. So clearly, like, you look at what we've just discussed about, improvement all over the park. Like, and that's that's what you get when you ship five goals or ten goals across two games. Clearly, there's things that need improvement everywhere. But like you said um, right at the start, Sam, what a what a reality check, like what a like stellar example of how far there is to go to improve everything. Like, I mean, you could have a three, two or a three, one win over a team that we've beaten multiple times over the years, but how much do you learn? Like you cop a shellacking like this and there's nowhere to hide. You, you can talk about players missing. You can look at the positives, which we will do in a minute, friends, don't worry. But <laughs> At the end of the day, when you cop scorelines like that, it makes you reset and go, yeah, we have some work to do. I think that's a nice segue, Harry, because one of the, the sort of the positives that I drew out of the Germany game was that there were players who actually did stand up and those players were fringe players. Those players were debutantes. So you mentioned Ivy Lewick. I thought she was one of our best players across both games as well. Emily Gilnick stood up when she was needed and she flourished in the position that she had become so good at for Brisbane. And Beattie Goad, who I thought was just extraordinary when she came on. She probably didn't expect to be played much, if at all. She probably would have got a similar kind of run to what Dylan Holmes got in the Netherlands game. But she came on in the 10th minute of the first game after Carly Rosbach and went down and she just flew I was so impressed with her and I was particularly impressed because, you know, this is a player whose pathway has been very different from a lot of other people. She was in college for a couple of years. She didn't even know if she would kick on and continue to play football because she wanted to go on and and continue to study and, and move into a different industry. But she made the jump. She moved to Germany. She joined at that point a second division side, which had just got promoted to the Bundesliga And she has been slowly uh, sort of transitioned from a winger into a fullback with them. And she came on and she was fantastic. She, as you mentioned before, Harrow, she made uh, probably two goal-saving challenges against players who are vastly more experienced than her. Um, And she just didn't seem, she didn't seem um, flustered. She didn't seem nervous. She didn't make the kinds of, mistakes that you make if you're really anxious about being new and about being young and coming up against a team like a Germany who have won World Cups. She didn't seem bothered by any of that. And that was really one of the, the most positive aspects of the whole thing as well. And when I asked Tony about Beattie in particular, he said that the thing that most impressed him was her attitude. 
like her performance was excellent, but it was her attitude is that she, she got up from that bench when he, she was asked to get up to, to replace Ross Barkin. She got ready and she went on. She, you know, usually apparently like coaches like to sort of sit down with the player for a few minutes before they go on towards the end of a match and they say, right, we want to do this and this. And they sort of give them a bit of a pep talk. No, nah. Beatty was like, right, yep, good, up, ready to go. And she was on. And that was great. And she was, and she was great because of that. And I think as a result of that particular performance, I mean, she sort of, you know, waned a little bit in the Netherlands game, but I think as a result of that Germany game, she's going to be recalled back to the next camp because that was really, really impressive from her. And it's a position, especially in light of this, the big question mark around Steph Catley's fitness. I think Beatty Goad as a left back is a genuine proposition moving forward. Well, the thing that stood out as well is uh, just watching her against Germany. I was like, this is a player who knows how to play against Germans because she's been playing in Germany. Like, yeah, weird that. She yeah. Get, she doesn't get flustered. She's got the strength. She's got the smarts. Um, we talk about it, I guess, as a young player, but she's 23 now. Um, and I guess the thing with Beatty is um, you just mentioned her college journey, Sam. It was funny because we were talking about Beatty Goad like, in our chat being like, no, I want to pump up Beatty Goat. I want to pump up Beatty Goat. <laughs> and Marissa, ever diplomatic, told us we can share um, so we can all pump up Beatty Goat. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Beatty Goat, like, started in the W League as this teenager in, like, 2014. And I remember covering um, her games and she was always, like, just so skinny and so lightweight, like, you know, like slight breeze could blow her away sort of player. But she was always super mature. Like she's a super smart girl, like always has been, but always had a really level head on her shoulders. Like the sort of player that as a 16-year-old wouldn't blaze away in front of goal, would find the cut back. This is playing as a winger, right? Would take the shot when it was on, but knew when to cut back, knew when to pass, um, never look too phased. And it was so good to see that coming through. And you wonder if, you look at the U.S. women's national team, right? Most players, bar say Mallory Pugh or Lindsay Horan, they go through college and they have the four years and they mature and they find their feet. And then most of the time, I guess, bar your, your real stars or your Macarios, for example, who even also played a bit of college football, they're ready, like they're grown up. And Beatty Go just looked like, you know, she'd grown into her body. She's like, you know, not reaching her peak yet, but she's clearly can go toe-to-toe, shoulder-to-shoulder with experienced players. She's not going to get pushed aside. She's gone through, wasn't a star at Stanford by any means, was coming off the bench a lot, was having little bursts. But as clearly as you said, Sam, despite considering maybe another option in terms of her career, picked up up the phone call, gone to Germany, and has just worked and worked and worked her way, one, into a Matildas camp, two, into a debut and barely missed a beat, as you said, in that first game. And then that second game, as you said, probably got caught out a couple of times. The whole defence really did, but just super impressive. And you, you can't ask for much more, especially in two friendlies where, yeah, we caught five in both games. Like, it's normal for inexperienced players to lose their heads at times, but she never looked like she was going to get rattled, never looked like she was going to put in like a dumb challenge that would give away a penalty or you know, like an ugly foul or a big shirt tug or anything like that. She just seemed very sure-footed and level-headed. And like you say, Sam, that's probably what's going to be what gets her called into camps again. No one's saying she's going to overtake a Steph Catley or anything like that. She's only at the very start of her Matilda's journey. But she's shown enough that you go, 
well, you'd, you'd bring her back in, wouldn't you? I think the best thing for us was that it was unexpected. Like you go, oh yeah, good. I know she's got a call up into camp, you know, where will she play? Maybe they'll bring her on or maybe she'll just be, you know, used in training and get a feel for it. It's like she played nearly two full games. And I think that was what was really nice to see about it. Like just the surprise packet. Would you say, oh no, why am I doing this? Would you say, how goad? <laughs> Sorry, terrible. Yeah, we Very would. Bad. Yes, yes, <laughs> we would. It. Yes, in fact, we would. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that's, I've been sitting on that for a little while. You guys have covered it all pretty much. Um, but I do, I do like the fact that there's um, more ginger representation in the Matildas as well. It's, it's nice for me. <laughs> more Victorians. That was what I was most excited about. We don't get very many, so... Um, and I guess speaking of that sort of surprise factor, another player that um, really pulled through for um, the Netherlands game was Dylan Holmes. Um, and I think a lot of people were really impressed by her performance. I was as well. So we were talking earlier about options for Sam Kerr. One particular moment stands out. She found this beautiful ball directly to Sam Kerr's feet. Unfortunately, it was called offside, but it was just that it was awesome to see the insight and her reading her fellow players so early on. I think it's been underestimated a little bit in these conversations that playing with new people is really, really hard. It takes a long time to actually be able to gel and to be able to read what the people around you want and what they're going to do as well and have those, I guess, be two steps ahead. I mean, that just takes time, um, but also, I guess, having... She just has it naturally, that instinctiveness. So that was great to see. And she also had that um, very close shot, um, as Harry mentioned earlier, which, you know, you should, you can say you you have to get that one and that sort of thing. And I think hopefully the players around her will continue to to rally her up because she will get there. You just don't want to have any dropped heads from that sort of thing. But I think she showed at Adelaide that she's very mature, very switched on. And so I think if she keeps getting minutes, she's just going to keep going on and on, up and up from there. Um, there was that unfortunate mistake. And I think that was something that I didn't mention this in the, the, the negatives section, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more, I guess, of that never say die attitude at parts in the game. It was obvious that some players were frustrated um, and you understand why they're, fiercely competitive they're professionals and they want to do well and make the most of this but at the same time it was obviously Tony was using this to try out new things and try out see new faces and see um different combinations and so things aren't always going to go well but uh, yeah we did drop our heads a little bit we me I was there yeah (laughs) Um, I just mean like um the the players did drop their heads at moments and it's understandable but um, especially with uh, a lot of new faces around. I think they do need to make sure that they're staying positive. That sounds so normie to be like, stay positive. Like I'm not the one being beaten 5-0, but you know what I mean. Just um, and have a, yeah, a bit more of that, I don't know, productive bite. drive. But yeah, yeah bite. That, I did enjoy seeing, uh, speaking of bite, LMS Antonio playing as well. Um Long term, I'm not sure how much more game time she'll get just because she's not a very 
she doesn't really play like a Lewick or a KK. That's not really her game style. She's um, a bit more of the, what was it? Mongrel. Is that what you call it, Anna? Yeah, a bit Mongrel. But anyway, <laughs> a lot of it, she's got a lot of mongrel, which is really useful. And I think it's good in sort of those situations where people are sort of like uh, dropping their heads a little bit. But um, anyway, I've diverged so far off the Dylan Holmes topic. So I'll let Anna. I'll, I'll come back to Dylan Holmes. I think yeah. what you're going to say, she just had to clear that one. The one where she just, it was not a good clearance. She'd have been flat with herself for it because she'd have done clearances like that a thousand times before. She'd sort of hit it quite tamely and it's gone straight to Daniela Vanderdonk because she much had enough time to line up where she wants to put it and almost roll it home. Um, so that that's tough. She'll learn from that. She probably, you know, you'd like to think she won't do it again because she's a resilient player and she'd be, probably be disappointed with that. It felt like a real what-if game for her because she had one shot from a bit of long range where... She put it over the bar. The one Angela mentioned before, and I think we mentioned at the start, where Sam Kerr's put this great ball across and she's, you know, you just go, oh, she's got to bury it. <laughs> and we feel like we've got a little foothold in the game. You know, debutante, it all comes very quickly. These things can happen. But the exciting thing about that is it means she's in the right place at the right time. She's anticipating. She's making the run. She's seeing what, you know, her teammate is doing and she's getting involved and, you got to, you know, ideally you're burying the goal, but getting in the right places is important too because it shows that you actually get it. It's not like, you know, she's just standing in the box and it's deflected off two people and off her and in or anything like that, you know. Like she's got to the right place. She's just not executed at the moment. And I think that was what ex- was exciting. Like she showed some really good glimpses. And I think she's the sort of player that will come away from having this bit of a taste of playing in that top level a really great experience from being involved in camp. And now she can go away and go back to her club in Sweden and take the lesson she's taken from this and go, okay, so I've got a bit of an idea of how good the really good players are. And I've got an idea of how good some of my Matilda's teammates are. And it's a player like that and Goad that we mentioned before, and I'm sure we'll touch on Mary Fowler as well, who can take a heap out of these and hopefully go apply some things at club level, perform and perform and perform and push forward um and I think back to Anna's favorite topic Sam Kerr shit talking not but like sometimes strikers miss those sorts of shots and it's something that comes up later on um and it's unfortunate but it is that thing of the getting in the right positions at the right time is a harder thing to learn and to adapt to than finishing shots like finishing shots that's something that like obviously Sam Kerr she went off and did her finishing practice after the whole the start of the FAWSL where everyone was losing their mind and she worked on it and she's scoring. So it's, you know, it's one of those things. Holmes can go off and do that. And I think, yeah, she'll definitely improve. She's already got the the main part down pat. So that's awesome to see. But yeah, I guess the, the other one is it wasn't a debutante, but we were all really excited to see when we previewed this, how Mary Fowler would go um, because we hadn't had a look at her in forever. There's been this talk about her, you know, eligibility for Ireland as well. Um, and we just, you know, we'd seen little glimpses from these highlights at Montpellier, but I think we're all excited to see what she could do. And Sam, she was thrown into that sort of attacking midfield role, which I don't think we expected her to play. And I think we thought she might get little stints as a forward coming off the bench, but she started both games and started in attacking midfield. What did you make of her? She did start in attacking midfield, which was an interesting choice. Um, I thought in the Germany game, particularly the first half, she showed the kinds of touches, the kinds of moments 
that prove that she is getting better overseas, that is sort of vindicating her move. She is obviously not a midfielder. I, I think I probably would have preferred to see her played in a more natural role um, and a role that she's more comfortable in, a role that she has been learning to play in in France, um, particularly sort of in, this, in the second game where it, it seemed like we were kind of struggling to to figure out how to crack through that Netherlands defence. I think bringing Mary a little bit higher up the field uh, might have introduced something a little bit different because none of those players would really know who she is or what she's capable of. Um, but we saw some really nice glimpses of her and, and what she can do with the ball at her feet, which I think is something that, you know, when, if we want to dig into the real sort of thick of, of analysis, you know, the Matildas, their technical ability, what they actually can do when they're on the ball and how quickly they can do it is, uh, is a bit of a question, particularly coming up against European opposition and perhaps also South American opposition. Um, but Mary Fowler, I think in that, in, that, in that period, in that first game, she showed that she has an ability on the ball that is quite unparalleled for a player her age. Maybe only really Kara Cooney Cross in, in and around that age bracket is capable of doing things like that. Um, so that's really exciting, but I was quite disappointed by her performance in the Netherlands game. I thought she was quite ponderous. She was a little bit slow. Um, it was mentioned earlier that she made an error and didn't drop back to rectify it, which led to a goal. Um, she, her passing was a little bit, I mean, maybe her, her moment in, in the Germany game was just energy and, and, you know, that nervous sort of like, oh my God, it's finally happening. Let's just like do everything. And then she found a way to sort of harness all of that um, in that game. And then maybe it tapered off a little bit in, against the Netherlands. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I would prefer um, to, to see Mary played further forward. And I don't think Tony would take very well to how she responded to her own faults. Um, you know, she didn't really seem to show the kind of gut-busting commitment to making up her own errors that you would need, particularly if you want to be a midfielder. And Ivy Lewick, to her absolute credit, had to cover a lot more ground, I think, as a result of that 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 sort of makeshift midfield that was put around her. Um, I think I, I was told that in the Netherlands game, Lewick covered 14 kilometres of the pitch, which is an absolutely extraordinary number. You know that, like that. That's the kind of it's, it's the it's the absolute top of the top number of kilometers that you need to be covering at the highest possible level. So, you know, one of the things perhaps coming out of these two friendlies is that we're actually seeing the data of what these players at this level need to be doing, and that data can be sent to prospective prospective Matildas, Matildas who want to get into this team over the next couple of years. Now we have a set of numbers and we can say, okay, if you want to be the Matildas next defensive midfielder, Ivy Lewick covers, covers 14 kilometers in 90 minutes. You need to show us that you can match that or you can better it because otherwise you're not going to be a starting Matilda like she is. So I think that's probably one of the things that will come out of it. But in terms of like players who may be asked to come back in this in the next window, which is in uh, in June, I I have questions around Mary Fowler. I'm not sure if she showed enough to warrant a return call, um, especially when we have players. If 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 big if if borders open and Australia-based players are eligible for selection, I think there are players in Australia at the moment who deserve 
a, a, a call up, particularly in the midfield, who perhaps show a little bit more drive and a little bit more commitment than I thought Mary did in the second game. I don't. I have no idea who you'd be talking about there, Sam. I wonder. I, mm, I starting with C, ending in W. No, it's ending ending in. Christ, Angela Christian Wilkes. <laughs> Is it, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. But like, yeah, I, I think Mary Fowler, if she's back in it, should be as a forward. Like that's where she's been playing. Um, yeah, exactly. I think they're all pretty valid points you've made there, Sam. And also Emily Van Egmond would have been doing a lot more. I think running duties and defensive duties than she's been playing in a Matilda's roles since that World Cup where she played as a six a lot. Like um, she didn't have the games probably that she would have liked to have after such stellar performances at West Ham and in previous Matilda's camps. And part of that I imagine would have been because she was playing alongside Fowler and um, there would have been just adjusting her role. Yeah, I would have I would have really liked to have seen Fowler play more forward. Like I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of those glimpses because she's clearly a goal scorer like she's a natural goal scorer I think that's something you can take away from what we've seen of her clips as a young Matilda and at Montpellier like knows how to score goals um and that first game showed plenty um I don't know if it's a factor of the second game maybe a bit of tiredness or whatever like not you know backing up but yeah clearly wasn't as impressive in the second game I'd agree with you there Sam what I'd like to see in this next squad is that you have a bigger squad because I think it's important to still keep these players around. I don't, I don't know if I'd see the value in having someone like a Fowler in for this camp in two games and then her dropping out for the next ones. Like she started both games. So clearly there was something they liked about the way she was going about it, that she got started in both games. Um, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see how it goes going forward. Just a little mention, India Page Riley also came off the bench for her debut. Alex Hong came off the bench for her debut I don't think either of them had too much of a say in either game but um Alex was probably getting turned for Germany's fifth in that first game but yeah I think it does give us a bit to think about and yeah Sam I'm I'm not sure what will happen with Fowler but I'd like to see what she can do as a forward because I I get the feeling her future doesn't necessarily lie in midfield I don't know if we ever thought it would I was surprised when I saw her line up in midfield for both games and the thing about Fowler is that she's she's still young. She's still she's learning. She's still doing this stuff, you know. She this is her first season overseas and you know when I think about the future of the Matildas, Mary Fowler absolutely. She is involved in that. She is the next Sam Kerr, all that sort of stuff. I see that. But for me at the moment because our forward line is uh, they are they are so proven at this level already. It's going to be really hard for her to be able to crack into a starting spot mm. over the next two years really uh, so what I think she needs to do is exactly what Dylan Holmes needs to do it's exactly what Emma Checker needs to do it's exactly what BD Goad needs to do it is to go back to club level and get better it's to go back to club level start to score consistently for Montpellier because she's scored here and there but she's not actually been doing it consistently in France let's be honest it's not the strongest women's league in the world so if you're the kind of player who you think you can be, and if you're the kind of player that we all think you can be, you need to start to prove that. You need to start to be up there in the stats in a in one of the weaker leagues in Europe and then find a way to pivot to maybe a stronger team and a stronger league more generally and then continue to kick on from there. That's what I'd like to see from Fowler. The one point I would like to make is that 
um, compared to, say, I guess the W League player. She's played 18 games this season, which is not huge, you know, like break your brain sort of numbers. That's still 50% more games than most of the players her age. So she is at least getting games. And I think that's going to be the important thing. And for me, it makes sense to, you know, provided she is showing some form and she is doing things to bring her into squads and, you know, test her out and get her. I think the thing with all these new faces is you want to get them embedded. You want to get that trust. You want to build some chemistry because we're only going to see disjointed performances from these players if they're sort of brought in one camp and then left out the next one. Then we see them again, you know, like maybe a player like a Fowler is not ready now, as you say, Sam, we've got a great stacked forward line, but we got to get a look at what they're doing. And if they're performing at club level and if they're doing the right things when they come into camp, even if I guess they have their faltering moments in games, we need to see what they can do because we need to build depth. Like, I think that's the one thing we probably didn't flat out say it at the start of the podcast. This is what it's shown, isn't it? We need to build depth. We need to build depth upon depth upon depth because all our competitors around the world have got depth. Germany's depth smacked us. (laughs) Like they impressed coming off the bench. They impressed if they started. Um, You look at the US women's national team at how easily they can bring players in to fill roles. we need, we need to see what these players can do and we need to get games into them and we need to gel them because um, I think if, it, if there's anything this window has shown, it's probably the, like the worst possible scenario when you've got probably five or six or more of your regular starting 11 unavailable is you've got to have players that can step up and not just show that they're at the level that can gel, that know how each other play, they've been involved in enough camps or enough games that they know that if they ping a ball that way, that Sam Kerr can run onto it, or if they lose the ball behind him, Alana Kennedy will cover them. You know, like these are senior players, but you need to know that BD Go can be in the right place at the right time. Or if Mary Fowler is up forward, that she's pressing at the right time, or if she loses the ball, she's going to track back. Or, you know, that you know that Dylan Holmes can make runs and can find players. Like it's, you want to see this stuff. And there was positives from these players, but we need to see it more consistently because we can't just have players just giving fleeting glimpses here and there. We need to see more and we need to build that depth base and quickly. To the point where, yeah, having our second tier team isn't as terrifying anymore, I suppose, because <laughs> that's been a criticism. It's like, oh, well, not a criticism, but in the context, it's like, oh, it's our second best team or whatever. But that should not be necessarily a bad thing or a negative thing as it currently is. The last point that I'll make on Fowler as well is that there is a bit of anxiety, I think, among Australians about getting her country tied because she still isn't formally capped. She came on for friendlies, but she's not actually capped at an A international level, which means that she can still declare for the Republic of Ireland. And if she if she chooses to, fine. This is sort of the point that I'm at now. Like, she is an absolute generational talent. But if she doesn't want to play for Australia... We shouldn't make her. We shouldn't make her. This is her decision. And if she wants to, if she wants to be the next Sam Kerr, she needs to fight for that. She needs to fight for that jersey. She needs to fight for that position. And she needs to fight for that idea. You know, if she is not going to commit herself to Australia, then go play for someone else. That's fine. You, you probably will. You're a great talent. You'll, you'll get minutes wherever you go. But this is a really special team. It's a special country. And you need to show commitment and spirit and fight if you really want to represent them. So I'm, I'm a bit over the talk about, oh, we need to cap it because blah, blah, blah. 
if she doesn't want to be capped by Australia, then that's okay because we want people who want to be here. I, I'm with you entirely, Sam. Like, um, you look at BD Goad and it was clearly meant the world to her. Like, that's all she really, like, probably all she would have wanted since she was a kid. Like, I think if the Matilda sent out media distribution after, it's the sort of thing she dreamed of. Like, there's no shortage of players that thrive on wearing the green and gold. Like, pl- playing for your country is the biggest honour. And at the end of the day, yeah, for Mary Fallot, for India Page Riley, who also made her debut um, and is also eligible for New Zealand. Uh, India Page Riley um, seemed wrapped about it, by the way. She posted on Instagram with the different photos. But for those players, it's a very personal decision. Um, and it's a very important decision. And I don't think anyone can tell you as a person, as you say, Sam, who you should play for or be trying to lock you into a certain team's colours. Because if you don't feel at 100%, you're not going to give 100%. Like, you're not going to run 14Ks like Ivy Lewick or run the equivalent of Men's Champions League defensive midfielders like a Chloe Legazzo does. You're not going to give everything. So it seemed that both those players did relish their time in the green and gold, like, a you know, Mary Fowler's, you look at her social media, it's very, there's quite a bit of Matilda stuff there. She seemed to enjoy her time. But if it comes to the point where she goes, no, I don't, I, d- I don't want to play for the Matildas, then I think people will respect her decision. But if she does, good on her. And it's on her to, I guess, fight for a, for a way into becoming, a, I guess, a cap-tied Matilda because that will mean she'll have broken through and played an Olympics or a World Cup, which means she'll have earned it. So that was those two games, but obviously those aren't the only two games the Matildas have ever played and it's not the two, only two games that the Matildas are going to play. We still have lots to look forward to. Obviously, the immediate kind of focus is the Tokyo Olympics but even before that we've got some things so I suppose I'll ask each of you what are you looking forward to and what are you expecting then from the next time that the Matildas get together what are you sort of hoping for Sam I'll start with you so we know that the Matildas are scheduled to play at at least two friendlies in the next window FIFA allows for two more international friendlies And we know that we have agreements already with the USA and with Canada that were not able to be fulfilled last year. So those are sort of looking like the teams that we might end up playing in the next window. But when Tony was asked um, after the Netherlands game what the plan is for that window, he said that the team is actually trying to look to be a little bit creative around trying to maybe add one or two extra games in that June window to just try and get more minutes under their belt, which I think is really admirable. So a lot of it is going to depend on borders, of course. Um, and the Tony said that they are effectively planning for two different scenarios. So if things stay as they are and there are still issues around quarantining, then they will probably stick with another all international squad. So similar to the kind of one that we've seen, Um, perhaps with the inclusion of a Charlie Grant who's just moved to Sweden, perhaps with the inclusion of a Tamiki Yallop who we found out only a couple of days ago uh, inadvertently, thanks Sarah Walsh, is moving to Norway. Uh, Perhaps also some more college players, you know, we'll see and maybe some other players who haven't announced their moves yet. But if borders open or a little bit more relaxed and there is the ability to draw upon some W League based or Australian based players, that's a different kind of squad. That squad will look different if that is the situation that they're dealing with. Um, That's not to say, though, that if there is an all European squad, that there won't be options or um, games organised for Australia based players. 
I think there will likely be a, a sort of a domestic camp that's organised for the same window and perhaps a, a friendly, maybe organised against New Zealand, maybe organised against another Asian. Like, I'm not sure what that situation is, but there will almost definitely be a camp for Australian-based players who, as a reward for what they have shown in the W League. And so, you know, across all those various situations and, and regardless of sort of where they're going to be, I would really like to see more W League players given the reward for the seasons that they've had. I think that if there is the possibility of relaxed borders and the the Matildas are able to draw upon Australian-based players, I think it's uh, Kyra Cooney-Cross, I think, needs to be included in that camp because the form that she's in at the moment and the confidence that she has, I think, would be really important to foster in that national team environment. I think Claire Wheeler, of course, like I'm not just a pumper for no reason. I do think she had a really sensational game, a sensational game and a sensational season for Sydney FC. And she offers the kind of forward thrusting movements of a midfield that I think was lacking a little bit in both of the friendlies that just passed. And I also would really like to see Tegan Micah. I'd like to see her taken to that next level. I think she's capable of it. Um, I'm not sure what her situation is in terms of her injury coming off the back of her season with Melbourne City or whether she's planning on going back overseas. I hope she is, but I would really like to see her because I think that her and Mackenzie Arnold um, are probably relatively similar in terms of the, their ability to compete for that second goalkeeper spot. And if Macca continues to make clangers, then we need to actually have a serious conversation about who's next. So I'd really like to see Tegan Micah brought in as well. Yeah, to bounce off that, Sam, um, I find it hard to see our borders fully relaxing just because of our very, very slow COVID vaccination situation in Australia. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm a pessimist. You'd love to see players be able to go to Europe and come back. Um, I don't know if the more realistic situation is that we see the Matildas come back and have an extended stint in Australia before Japan and that's when W League players could maybe be brought in that that seems more feasible to me if they're able to get players released from their European clubs you know back home for an extended period before going away but I, d- I don't know if that's the case I mean like those friendlies seem like they're most likely happen in Europe because of bringing opposition to Australia is difficult <laughs> so I it's kind of I really feel for um I guess the W League players but I think Kyra Cooney-Cross will join a European-based club. Like, it's something she said pretty quickly after the grand final that she wanted to get over to Europe. So hopefully that happens. Hopefully, as you said, Sam Teagan, Micah is over there. Um, but I really like the idea, like I said, of getting players that have really impressed in the W League in, say, uh, against New Zealand. Like, test out some of these players. I don't know if it's, say, Amel Andretta leads that group and you get a bit of an idea of who's the standouts um, because some of these players will be Going up a level, say if it was a, a Claire Wheeler, Kyra Cooney-Cross, if she hadn't gone to Europe, uh, Jamila Rankin, if these sorts of players are impressing against New Zealand, you get an idea of whether they can at least make that first step. But yeah, I think the thing that really excites me as well is just getting some players back for <laughs> if we play games in Europe. I think you mentioned Tamiki Alex, Sam. Hopefully Chloe Legazzo, we can get her back in the fold. Hopefully Steph Catley can get past his injury. Ellie Carpenter can... Leon just not be Roneyville so we can have our right back because I was really excited to see what she could do after, you know, being a regular at Leon. Like, I just want to see some of these players that <laughs> we actually have that are in Europe or like are about to go to Europe just get in and um, impress. And hopefully, as you said before, Sam, 
Charlotte Grant can sort of find her feet in Sweden quickly and develop as a player. Maybe she can be another one that you you bring in for a bit of a taster and see how she goes. Like we saw some players get tasters and they exceeded our expectations. Um, so I'd like to see that. I want to see more of our full strength Matildas back in and a couple more fresh faces. Cause I think that's a really good thing. I think that's something that for all our talk about the result and shipping goals, um, it was exciting to see the Matildas back in action. But for me, it was so exciting seeing fresh faces. You love seeing, you know, Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford and Lydia Williams and the gang all back playing. But you do like seeing some different faces in there. And for me, that was something that was a positive we could take out of this, was getting a look at some different faces. And I'm sure they add something different to the group dynamic. And hopefully, yeah, that's something we see a bit more of going forward. Angela? Yeah, so I think what I'll be excited to see is players getting their homework and then going off and taking that back to where they're playing and to see how they develop that and if that affects anything. So we've talked quite extensively about Alana Kennedy today, but I'm interested to see from here until the FA, the end of the FAWSL season if she's going to go back and hopefully play as a centre-back maybe, but sim- similar for like, for example, Lydia Williams and all of the players heading off to Scandinavian leagues to see how they're going to improve. Um, Because, yeah, as Sam mentioned as well, there are now benchmarks that players can work towards, no matter where you are in the world as well, which is really interesting. So Claire Wheeler went into that in on our little um, grand final preview podcast, which was really interesting to hear. And so, yeah, basically I'm keen to sort of see how individuals take this experience on board and how that's going to affect their club performance. And also, oh my God, the FAWSL ends soon in May. So what happens after that? How do people stay connected, stay engaged, stay fit? Yeah. Oh, big questions. Just to bounce off that, Angela, like I'm really excited to see what they do next time they're together because Tony wouldn't have got to implement hardly anything the things that we've done with the US, things that he'll want to implement now would have been very much plug and play. Let's go in this window. So hopefully we see, as you say, they get their homework, they have put some stuff in practice or they've seen what they need to put in practice and they can, you know, get more acquainted with that. And then the next camp comes around and we see a bit more of what we want Tony Ball to look like. Um, We'll get an idea of what the identity of this team is going to be going forward in terms of playing style, in terms of intent, in terms of personnel, I think it will be exciting for us once we get an idea of who this team is going to become, what it will be, and where these players are going to go. Because I think that's what we really want to see. And that's what got us so excited um, before these games <laughs> sort of brought us all back down to earth a little bit. But I think when you look at the bigger picture, I think that's what, what we want to see is what Tony is actually going to mould this team into. And I think that's what we'll get a better idea of the next window and then in Tokyo and then probably not even until 2022 and like when we're you know Asian Cup and you know starting our preparation for that World Cup like I think that's when we'll get a real idea of what this team is but I think we need to see a bit more of that and hopefully hopefully the June window will give us that. It is exciting because we are really at the start of this new era of this new journey so there's so much to look forward to. Um, Thank you so much for tuning into this little special bonus 
Tilly's pod. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Google and Apple. Feel free to leave ratings and reviews if you like what we've done. Um, we're at the Far Post pod on all social medias. And if you are listening to this after our grand final season review, you'll know that we're going on a little bit of a break. But if you're listening to this one first, there'll be no Far Post for a little while, but we, we will be back bigger than ever doing lots of stuff because there's still so much to talk about. So until then, stay in.